What is the truth of what happened on June 20th, 2020, when Peel Regional Police responded to a call from family members about a 62-year-old man who suffered from mental health problems, had schizophrenia, he was in his apartment, he had a large knife. After several hours of standoff, police uh, gained access to the balcony of the apartment, came through the balcony door. Nine seconds later, Ijaz Chaudhry was on the ground. He had been shot twice, live ammunition. He had been tasered. He had been hit with several rubber bullets. The investigation into his death found that police did not contravene any laws. No charges will be laid. Camille Karamali is our Global News reporter who has been following this story since the beginning and joins me on the line. Camille, hello. Hello, Alan. Yeah, lots to unpack here, seeing that this uh, report just came out uh, a couple of hours ago, but uh, a lot to read. But I think you just touched on one of the most important aspects of what this report uh, shows is that in the moment it took uh, for these uh, officers to gain access to the balcony and enter the unit, it took eight to nine seconds, and that's what the SIU report also highlights, eight to nine seconds for these officers to get through the door, the balcony door, and for Ejaz to be dead on the ground of, his, of this uh, apartment unit. You know, I, you know, I did this morning, Camille, as I read this report, is I actually just put on my stopwatch and just tried to get a sense of how long nine seconds is. Because within nine seconds, what the SIU report says is that first, the taser was deployed, and that did not stop Mr. Chowdhury, who was advancing towards the officers holding a knife. And then he was hit with it, several uh, rubber bullets. I think, is it two, I believe, I think the report it was, says? It was three at first. So three. almost at the same time as that taser was set off, uh, the quote-unquote that SAU report says about the same time, three uh, bullets from this Arwin weapon, which either uh, discharges rubber or plastic bullets. It doesn't highlight here what it was actually discharging, but this Arwin uh, weapon discharged three bullets uh, towards EJS. And Mr. Chowdhury, according to the reports and according to the investigation from the SIU, continued to advance, and that is when the subject officer uh, fired twice. Mr. Chowdhury uh, fell backwards uh, towards the couch. He still had the knife in his hand, and several. And I think it was a number of seconds later where a number, another round of rubber bullets were fired, and I believe the taser was deployed again. I, Camilla, I know you've spoken with family. Um, this is obviously not what they were looking for. What, what did they tell you? Well, they used one word over and over again. Alan, and they called it a cover-up. So, uh, you know, first of all, they took huge issue with, once again, uh, you know, you and I have seen many SIU reports come out, and time and time again, the subject officer, that is the officer that actually pulled the trigger or was directly involved in the death of the civilian, uh, in this case, the person, the officer who fired the two uh, bullets from the pistol that landed in Ejaz's chest, that ended up killing him, uh, he chose not to be interviewed by SIU, as is his right, 
But once again, the family is just absolutely baffled that this option even exists. And uh, they had some pretty harsh words for that subject officer saying, if you have nothing to hide, why did you not be interviewed by SIU? Why did you not come out into the clear about what transpired? Um, and once again, this report and, once, and you know, Alan, you and I are attempting to compress a very, very long report here. But in essence, um, you know, what the officers and the SIU report say is that uh, Chaudhry had a knife with him, a, a pretty big kitchen knife, and he was advancing forward with the knife held up. And that's, uh, you know, that's all it says about why the officer felt the need to fire uh, twice, aside from that taser and the rubber bullets being uh, set off towards him. But once again, we timed nine seconds. So uh, once again, the family is asking if you tried to taser him and three rubber bullets went towards um, Ejaz, Mr. Chaudhry, did you really give enough time to assess the situation and assess whether firing those bullets from that pistol after the taser and after the rubber bullets was actually necessary? Did you take the time to see if uh, that, the taser and the rubber bullets would actually disarm Ejaz before firing the pistol itself? So a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. And uh, for them, they say the story is definitely not over. They have uh, they have legal counsel, and they wouldn't say exactly what sort of, um, you know, uh, legal pushback they're planning on, but this isn't the end of it, is what they were saying. Camille Karamali is our global news reporter. And Camille, as, as you have been talking about, you spoke with family today. We have a, a clip from that interview. Do you know who we're going to hear from here? Yeah, we're going to hear from uh, Ejaz's nephew. He was sort of front and center throughout the summer when there were protests, rallies. He was speaking very openly. And uh, obviously, he sort of says the family, the direct family, Ejaz has four children, and their and his grandkids are very distraught. So uh, him as the nephew uh, is, is a bit more open to speaking. And, and so he spoke to me uh, just about an hour ago. His name is Hassan Chaudhry. The family was pretty, pretty devastated in regards to um, hearing the news. Um, but when it came down to the answer from the SIU, we weren't surprised or shocked at all. Uh, the reason why we were disturbed is that there was zero accountability uh, at all. And uh, we expected some accountability. And seeing that is kind of what hurt us. I'm uh, speaking with Kamal Karamali, and that was uh, the nephew of Ijaz Chaudhry uh, reacting to the release of the special investigations report today that says that there will be no charges laid against the officer and officers who responded uh, to that case back in June of 2020 that cost the life of 62-year-old Ijaz Chaudhry. And Kamal, I, I, this is one of the things that's kind of jumped out at me in in the conclusion from the director of the SIU, and I'm quoting from the report here. While questions about police reform are of clear importance, systemic issues in policing can only play a role in the SIU's decision-making where they are relevant to the potential criminal culpability of an individual police officer. You get a sense there, Camille, what the SIU is judging in what it is not judging. Exactly. And, and uh, in essence, I mean, we're hearing that it's limited in its scope of what it can and can't do, right? It's, it's 
sort of looking at whether it can charge these officers or not based on the sequence of events from what it's heard from civilian witnesses and police officer witnesses as well. So um, really, I mean, they can critique and criticize uh, the makeup of a police service as much as they want, but at the end of the day, that doesn't allow them to feel like in a particular situation that charges should be laid against a, uh, an officer or officers. I also just want to point out one other thing that really stuck out at me, Alan, you know, sifting through this and combing through this. Um, this was a three and a half hour ordeal. The officers, actually the uh, medical emergency medical services non-emergency line was called at around five o'clock and it was actually the EMS who then called police over after, you know, an attempt to uh, access EJAZ, who was locked in, in a room with, uh, there were concerns of a pocket knife um, under his prayer mat. He was praying. He wanted to be left alone. He locked the door. Um, now, you know, it, it sort of escalated. We know he died and at, at 8.30, and, and that's when the police sort of bombarded his apartment and broke through the balcony, 8.30. But the initial call was made at 5 o'clock. And one thing that really stuck out at me, and, and it sort of just looked like finding a needle in a haystack because it was sort of mentioned in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of this whole thing, it was that at 7.45, it wasn't until 7.45 that police requested a crisis negotiator team. So that would be the rightful people who would be able to sort of, you know, be able to talk with EJAZ and they have the expertise and the specialty and the background to be able to negotiate their way through these situations and talk to them. Because one of the issues that we read time and time again in this report was that um, the police officers, and, you know, they're not really very well trained on this matter, were having trouble accessing and, and negotiating with EJAZ. So it wasn't until 745 that the crisis negotiator team was, was even called upon. They were an hour away, Alan. And so the police officer decided, okay, we can't wait an hour for the negotiators to get here. We're going to take action on our own. And that eventually ended up with the death of Ejaz Chaudhry. Camille, I'm looking forward to your report tonight on Global News. Uh, Camille Karamali, who is our Global News reporter who has been covering this case since the beginning. I appreciate it, Camille. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Alan. Wow. You know, if the SIU is, and as they are here, really just looking at what happened during those eight seconds, eight, nine seconds, then, you know, it's difficult to judge. Does a police officer feel that their life is in danger, that the lives of their colleagues is in danger? That is one question. Another question is, is what in the world were they doing busting through that balcony in the first place after the family had warned them that men in uniforms aggravated and set off Ijaz Chaudhry. 